0: Hey, I'm Dave, and thanks so much for checking out today's message. We're so glad that you are here, and we would love to get connected to you and your family. So, one easy way to do that is that you can text the word River Connect to 97,000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some of our upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give today to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website. Click on the Give tab right at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. On May tenth, 1940, Germany invaded France and in Low Countries, pushing back the British Expeditionary Force, along with French and Belgian troops, all the way to the French port of Dunkirk. Some of you may have seen that movie. There was a huge rescue operation called Operation Dynamo that was organized by the Royal Navy to get troops off of those beaches and back to Britain. The, an admiral directed the evacuation, and, and this, his last name was Ramsey. And so Ramsey had retired before the war, but he was recalled in 1939 because of everything that was going on. So what, what happened was he and his staff worked in a room deep in the cliffs. It once contained a dynamo, an electric generator, and so that's why they called it this operation. It began on the 26th of May. Strong defenses were established around Dunkirk, and the Royal Air Force sent all available aircraft to try to protect the evacuation. Over 800 naval vessels of all shapes and sizes helped transport troops across the English Channel back to England. The last British troops were evacuated on the 3rd of June, with French forces covering their escape. But because of the the demographic and and the geographical area of Dunkirk, the large ships could not come into port. And so what ended up happening is they got all of these small fishing boats to volunteer to go into an active war zone and evacuate all of these soldiers because the water was too shallow for large ships to be able to make it to shore. This became known as the little ships. Churchill and his advisors had expected it would be possible to rescue only twenty to 30,000 men, but in the end... 338,000 troops were rescued from Dunkirk. All resistance in Dunkirk ended at 9.30 a.m. on the 4th of June. This evacuation was an important event for, for the Allies because if the BEF had been captured, it would have meant the loss of Britain's only trained troops and the collapse of the Allied cause. The, succession, or the successful evacuation was a great boost to civilian morale, And it created the Dunkirk spirit, which helped Britain to fight on in the summer of 1940. Now, Churchill said of this victory we must be careful not to assign the deliverance of of these attributes to a victory. Wars are not won by evacuations. Britain was now clearly in Hitler's sights. Vulnerable, weakened by the defeat on the beaches of France because much of its weaponry and ammunition had been left on the shores of France. And it was a long way from its empire and commonwealth allies. It faced the might of the German army and the air force alone. So on the June 4th, 1940, Churchill reported to the House of Commons, their parliament, seeking to check the mood of national euphoria because of this evacuation, not winning a war, but of evacuation and relief and unexpected deliverance and to make a clear appeal to the United States. And these are Churchill's words. To the question of invasion of England, I would observe that there has never been a period in all these long centuries which we boast of when an absolute guarantee against invasion, still less against serious raids, could have been given to our people. In the days of Napoleon, the same wind which would have carried his transports across the channel might have driven away the the blockading uh, fleet. There was always the chance, and it is that chance, which has excited and befooled the imaginations of many continental tyrants." Many are the tales that are told. We are assured that novel methods will be adopted, new methods. And when we see the, originally, the originality of malice, the ingenuity of aggression, which our enemy displays, we may certainly prepare ourselves for every kind of new strategy and every kind of brutal and treacherous maneuver. I think that no idea is so outlandish that it should not be considered and viewed with a searching, but at the same time, I hope, a steady eye. We must never forget the solid assurances of sea power and those which belong to air power if they can totally be locally exercised. And this is the part. I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and if the best arrangements are made as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once again able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war, to outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary for years, if necessary alone. At any rate, that is what we're going to try to do. That is the resolve of his majesty's government, every man of them. This is the will of parliament and the nation, the British Empire and the French Republic, linked together in their cause and in their need, will defend to their death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and on the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving... Then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to rescue and the liberation of the old. This was the beginnings of World War II. The Nazi empire would ravage the continent of Europe. The empire of Japan would attack Pearl Harbor, making the entry of the United States into the conflict, or marking the entry of the United States into the conflict. That had been thousands of miles away on foreign soil. But the strategies of leaders that would not give up the fight would take hold. The evil of the Nazi regime would be defeated, and England would defend her island with the help of her allies. France would be retaken and set free. See, in the middle of all these expectations and fears in England, Churchill would both seek and give counsel as he led his nation through extreme and bitter darkness. And today we begin a series called Expecting. We begin a series that, that, that is, is all surrounding Isaiah 9, 6. And I'm going to read that verse here in a little bit. But it's all about what we may expect. I mean, when we look at the picture and we think about this verse, we're going to hear it. For unto us a child is born. We think of Mary expecting a child. And that's definitely part of what we're going to be talking about. But every time we come to Christmas, we all have some expectations, don't we? We all come with expectations. Expectations of what we will receive as a Christmas gift, what we want. Expectations of seeing family that we haven't seen for a long time. Expectations of family coming that will make it hard at Christmas time. Expectations that you will automatically have a hard Christmas because of the family that won't be here or the family member or loved one that is no longer with us expectations that Christmas won't be as good as the past because money is tight and you can't do as much this year, expectations that you are staring at the end of your marriage and you don't know what to do and you don't see how it'll change, expectations that nothing will ever change, expectations that you'll have the best Christmas ever because you have the most awesome plans. We have expectations, and they are a flimsy thing. Because we have things that we think or expect will happen. We're looking forward to. Maybe we're dreading them. Then the expectation can be great or tough. But when we get to the outcome, what we expected will greatly color how we experience the outcome. If our expectations are so out of whack, the actual outcome may never reach what that expectation was. So... Sometimes we have an expectation that this bad thing is going to happen and then it never does. And what do we just do? We spent weeks worrying about something that never actually happened and we just ruined the last three weeks of our lives. Or we have expectations that something big is going to happen. And it's going to be an amazing thing. And then when the outcome happens, we're so disappointed that we can't even experience the good that is happening. Here's the thing about the expectations we have it all depends on who or what is the object of your expectation it's what the foundation of that expectation is is your expectation based on truth is your expectation based on experience is it based on a person or is it based on the one see especially unmet expectations color our lives and bring us disappointment even if good things are happening until we have our expectations, expectations in someone that is sure. Someone that is true. Someone that will never fail you. So let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah 9-6. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah 9-6, it will be on the screen behind me. It will also, uh, you can download the River Church app and you can download, or when you do that, you'll have, a, have the Bible there as well. Um, Isaiah 9-6. And just so you know, we always... Use the English Standard version here. So if you use a different translation, that's fine. But if you want to have the English Standard output in your Bible app, you can do that so you follow along and it's what you see and what, what I'm reading. So I want to read that for us this morning. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So I don't know what you're expecting this Christmas. I don't know what you bring in here with your expectations, but I hope that as we talk about the names of the child that was born to us and for us, you'll begin to place your expectations this Christmas in Jesus. See, this child is born to us, And for us, which is interesting because I I think back to Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, and how Jesus was announced by the angels and to the shepherds. and, And the angel says this, the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. For unto you is born. This child is born for our benefit. This child is given to change things. This child is given for a purpose. What's the purpose? Why is God saying that through Isaiah that this child is born to us? That to the people of Judah here, that there is a son given? See, the idea of the word for right here, for, to us, a child is born, We've been discussing this in our growth community a lot, how there are connective words in Scripture. And so for us to actually understand why Isaiah is writing for to us, a child that's born, that connects what he's about to say to everything that was said in the previous couple of chapters. We have to understand what's going on here and why Isaiah was prophesying like this. The big one that we always talk about in our growth community is therefore. You've got to find out what it's there for. Because it's connecting to something. You can't understand what's about to be said unless you read backwards and find out what the writer had just said. So we have to go back to what expectations God was giving his people in the prophecy of the Messiah, the child born to save. If we had time, we could go back to Isaiah chapter 7. We don't, we're don't. we not going to read it for the sake of time this morning. But we see that the king Ahaz is king of Judah at this time. There was a divided kingdom. So Israel was a nation under David, under Solomon. And then at some point, again, there there was a break between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Can you imagine being separated? Kind of like a civil war (laughs) that we know in our history. But the division lines were never reunited. The nation of Israel in the north never had kings that, that, that honored the Lord. They went away from God. The southern kingdom had a few kings that honored the Lord. And always they were fighting. They were at each other. And that's what Ahaz was concerned about here. Ahaz was very fearful that Israel, the northern kingdom, would form an alliance with Aram, and he was looking for answers. God came to Ahaz in chapter 7 and he said, Look, don't lead with fear. Trust me. Don't lead with fear. Trust me. Do you think that's what he did? Everybody shake your head like this. No. Hardly any of the kings of Israel and Judah followed the Lord at all. And he got freaked out. What did he do? He went to the nation of Assyria and made a pact with a nation that stood against everything God wanted for his people. He trusted another nation rather than trusting in the name of the Lord as God. And that brings us to chapter 8 right before this. The commentator Raymond Ortland said something very interesting when he was talking about Ahaz and and whether or not he trusted the Lord and he applied it to us and I think it's so relevant he says you and I will not achieve the victory of God in this world we don't trust God that much right it's true we rarely live fully for him But God is solving our problem for us because his heart is not divided. That is guarantee of our salvation. When we are finally glorifying and enjoying him perfectly, we will look at one another and say, we didn't do this. God did this. This is the triumph of his zealous grace. See, God does it because we don't trust him enough. And so this king of Judah had made this unholy alliance with Assyria In the short term, it would be helpful. In fact, God would use Assyria to accomplish his purposes and his will. However, the prophecy of the whole book of Isaiah is such a roller coaster throughout it. Judah would walk away from God. God would actually make his case against the nation of Judah about how they had adulterated themselves to other nations and other gods and walked away from him. And that there would be judgment coming on the nation of Judah, but God would not forget his people. The book of Isaiah is like, such judgment is coming. But oh, my people, if you would just turn back to me, that's the heart of God. Coming and saying, hey, I will not forget. There will be a remnant. There will be salvation coming. And God shows his grace to them. All King Ahaz could see was fear. That's what so many of the people in the nation of Judah would see, was fear. Fear. And they forsook God to run after things that they thought would bring them safety and security, that they thought would bring them salvation. The thing was is they dared not risk God coming through. They put their faith in other places. In fact, when Ahaz heard of forces coming against him in Isaiah 7-2, it's recorded and it says, When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Have you ever been in a situation like that in your life? Where you shook like trees shake in the wind? I've been there. There's some tough times in life when you don't know what's coming next. When you don't know what the answer is. And then look at how the people that trust in God responded. In Isaiah 8, 9 to 10, it says, Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. See, the people that were trusting God knew full well that if you put on your armor and you're going to go try to do this, you're going to think it's going to work for a while, but it's going to be shattered. We know that because we've heard the voice of God. And we know that God is with us. And maybe we see that in other people's lives sometimes. Maybe we've seen it in our own life, that we've been broken and shattered in every way because we've done everything but come to God because our expectations haven't been met. God, you didn't give me what I wanted. And so we go to everything else that we think and give us what we want. When God says he loves us so much, he gives us what we need. See, the people of God knew that the nation would trust in armor, but they would be shattered. They would take counsel from Assyria, but it would come to nothing. What was the hope of the people that trusted God? Why did they hope so much? Because of the, I believe, in fact it is, it's my favorite name of God. Emmanuel. God is with us. They knew he could be trusted because he never failed them. He never did. However, things got even darker for Judah after this prophecy. Very dark. They were surrounded, and they would eventually see Jerusalem fall, their capital city. The city of God, the city of David where the temple was, would fall in 586 B.C. to the Persian Empire. Or the Babylonian Empire, sorry. Centuries after this, but they, and they would see much destruction even in this fight all around Jerusalem. Much like what we heard about World War II England earlier. But God would make a way. And there's two of the best words in scripture, but God. And then we read in Isaiah chapter 9, the entire passage through verse 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It would get dark. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has come. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, for they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I'm going to go to verse 7. I don't have it on the screen, but of the increase of his government and peace, there will be No end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Man. For to us a child is born. That is how God would accomplish the purpose of dawning a light in the middle of such deep, deep sorrow and darkness. I didn't plan on this, but it's, when we think about it in this context, I think it's so easy to see why the people of Israel, the Jewish people, missed Jesus as the Messiah when he was born and when he came and he started his ministry. Because they had been oppressed by other nations for so many years. And they were looking for deliverance, a physical deliverance, from an oppressive force. Whether it be Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, the Roman Empire, they were always under somebody's thumb. And they wanted wanted deliverance from that. What they didn't know, and what often, so often we don't know, is we need deliverance from something that is so much more insidious, evil, and treacherous than any oppressor can be. And it's sin. That's what we need deliverance from. But can you see how expectations would have been different? Unmet expectations can cause us to miss truth. It can cause us to miss what is right in front of us. It can cause us to miss what God wants to teach us. Because again, if our expectations are not firmly founded in truth in the first place, the outcome won't matter because we didn't get what we wanted. I'm way before the application, but I'm going to give you a little bit this morning. We have to submit our expectations to God. We have to submit them to him. And how do we do that? I believe we trust in him as God reveals this Messiah in the names that he places here and prophesies. Because first thing we're focusing on today is that he is our wonderful Counselor. You know, when we go to a counselor, what do we typically think of? We think of mental illness. We think of, we are not thinking straight. We need help trying to get out of depression or anxiety or any of those. And that's very true. But our society, we're so stressed out, freaked out, because our, maybe because our expectations were way over here, and they weren't based in truth, and then they're not met, and then the outcome comes, it doesn't matter what it is, we didn't get what we wanted, and we get, we get stressed out. All of us do. When we go to a counselor, we're dealing with tough stuff. We really are. Relationships, mental health, th- that's what we think of. But a counselor is so much more than that. In Proverbs 15.22, it says this, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 11.14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. And that's what Churchill was for the people of England. He was the counselor that counseled the people to say, hey, it wasn't just about an evacuation. Be ready. See, we see counselors in so many areas of life, and we need counselors in so many areas of life. We have financial counselors. There are counselors that help church leadership develop and grow a staff and train and be able to have solid systems to be able to minister to people. We have counselors that help with business structure, counselors in advertising and marketing, counselors in the military, political counselors, so many different kinds of counselors. Jesus being our wonderful counselor here is twofold. First of all, Wonderful, the word wonderful bears a spiritual or a supernatural connotation to it. Jesus is our supernatural counselor. He knows all, he is all, he is all powerful. What other counselor do we need when he is wonderful? And him being the counselor here is, being, is pertaining to what's just before it, that with the people of Judah, what they were facing, how dark it was going to get, potential defeat and annihilation. They needed a counselor. They needed to know how to handle the situation they were in. Ahaz needed to know what to do, but he had turned to a pagan nation in Assyria. He went another direction. He went to a different counselor that was not based in truth, that was not about what God had for them. And Isaiah had just talked about all this judgment that would come on Judah in chapters 7 and 8, that Jerusalem would even be destroyed, but that God wouldn't forget. See, the reason Jesus was called the Wonderful Counselor was because he would never forget the people he loved. He wouldn't leave them. He wouldn't forsake them. He would supernaturally counsel them and help them in in the darkest of times. Because those dark times would come and he would remember them. He would lead them. He would help them. And so I want us to hear what God's saying to us today. What are you bringing into the room today? What are the expectations that you have that maybe haven't been met? Maybe not even about Christmas, but over the last year. What struggles are you having? Are there relational struggles that you have this Christmas? I venture to say every Christmas, about half of us are probably right there. It could be with spouses, kids, workplace, extended family. We all have relational struggles. We all have our stuff. Do you have career worries? Do you have financial concerns today? Are you wondering what the future holds with maybe you specifically or maybe our world in general? Are you worried about what the future holds Or maybe you just don't know what to do next. What's my next step? Where do I go? What do I do? I want to tell you this morning, you have a wonderful counselor that says to you today, come all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. In the middle of your stress, in the middle of your unmet expectations, what does the word rest sound like to you this morning? I will tell you, sometimes that word rest sounds like a cool, big old drink of water in the midst of a dry desert. The word rest. Do you even believe that's possible this morning? That you could rest and be able to know that you're held by the wonderful Counselor? one that will give you the strength we need, you need, one that will give you the counsel you need on how to move forward. Jesus says he'll give you rest for your souls. He will give you counsel that's beyond what you could ever do on your own. Hear that. He will give you counsel that will go beyond what you could ever do or accomplish on your own. How does this happen? Well, one of the favorite verses of mine in Scripture is Jeremiah 29, 11. Yeah. Yeah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future now it might be a little different than what was up there but that was what i had memorized <laughs> do you believe this morning that your god your savior has plans for you that will give you a future and a hope yes i hope so do we live like it no do we live like we have a savior plans That will give us a future and a hope. And this easily applies to Jesus as our counselor. To go after him. But we also forget how to apply this verse to our lives. And God gives us a really strong, I'm not going to say suggestion, a really strong statement. Just one more verse down in Jeremiah 29, 13. And how we apply this. He where he says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Amen. How many other counselors have you gone to in this year? How many books have you read about, I don't know, Financial Peace with Dave Ramsey? I don't know. You (laughs) know, now, Dave Ramsey's great. I'm not trying to put him aside. And, and, and he loves the Lord, and there's good stuff. In fact, I saw a meme recently that, that's this song that says, Dave Ramsey ruined Christmas this year. If you, if, you, if, you, if you can find it on YouTube, it's pretty hilarious. Go check it out. Um, but you can have good counselors. What are some bad counselors you've gone to? Can I tell you this morning, the news, bad counselor. And yet so many times that's what we find ourselves doing. And we decry the people that watch CNN or the people that watch Fox or the people that watch whatever one's in the middle. I don't know if there is one in the middle. I don't know. But we're like, we're like all over the place. And we let, the, we let news and culture be our counselor when we have the wonderful counselor. How is Jesus your counselor this Christmas? here's what I want you to remember this morning and what I want you to do this morning. Seek your wonderful counselor with everything you have. Seek him with everything you have. Don't go to him second. Don't try to figure it out on your own first. Decide to go to him when nothing you tried worked. Go to him first as your wonderful counselor because he loves you and he will give you rest for your souls. He will accomplish it. We can learn how to be persistent and confident in our God, who is infinitely more powerful than you and loves you so deeply more than you could even ask, imagine, or think. And maybe we take a little bit from what Winston Churchill said to the people about how they were going to be resilient and defend their island. What if we said, I am confident in my God? I have full confidence that my God will do what he has promised. Even when I'm afraid, especially when I'm afraid, I will rely on my wonderful counselor. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, no matter what I face, I will not give up. I will go to my wonderful counselor when it doesn't make sense. When everything seems against me, when I think I can do it on my own, when I'm desperate, when I'm scared, when I don't know what's next, I will go to my wonderful counselor and I will learn from him. I will go early and I will go often. I will go to my wonderful counselor with everything I have and I will seek him with all of my heart because that is when I know I will find him. What if that's how we went to our wonderful counselor? rather than believing all of the things that are between us and our wonderful counselor. So what do you need from God this Christmas? What do you need? What are your expectations of this Christmas? Will you take those to the wonderful counselor? Will you take your unmet expectations that have caused you pain to your wonderful counselor? Because he will counsel you. I want to tell you this morning if you're not sure how to do it, remember you will seek him and find him when you seek him with all of your heart. You don't seek him and money, you don't seek him and relationships. You don't seek him and career advancement. You don't seek him and the news. You don't seek him and worldly wisdom. You seek him with everything you have and you will find him. He's promised you that. My friends, God hasn't gone anywhere. You are not forsaken. You are loved beyond compare if we just seek him with all of our hearts. Why do you need this Christmas? Seek your wonderful counselor with all you have. And if you're here this morning and you have not met Jesus as your savior, can I tell you something this morning? Again, you are loved. The Bible tells us that all of us have, have messed up. There's not a one of us in this room that's better than anybody else. We are all sitting here this morning because we know we need a savior. Because we've sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Because we know that the wages of the payment of sin is death. But God's free gift is eternal life. And every single one of us sits in here a hypocrite. You know? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and maybe you're here for child dedication. And you know you thought the walls might fall down if you walked into a church. They're still standing, so you're good. And maybe you thought you met a lot of hypocrites in church. And I would tell you Yes. I'm one standing right here. But the good that is at all in me, it's all because of him. It's not because of me, it's because of Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning that if you come in here with something and you have not yet met Jesus as your savior, if you seek him, you're going to find him. If you call on the name of the Lord this morning, you will be saved because yes, we celebrate his birth at Christmas, but he lived 33 years and he died on a cruel cross as he lived the perfect life so that he, when he died, he would pay the penalty, pay that death that we deserve, he put it on himself so that we could know him and we can call him our wonderful counselor. And so this morning, if you're not sure that if something tragic were to happen to you, that you would be in heaven in that moment, you can know today. Call on the name of Jesus and he will save you. Tell him that I believe you are who you say you are, that you are the son of God and that you are. You lived a perfect life and that he did what he said he did, that he died on the cross for my sin and that he rose from the dead on the third day and ask him for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll be saved in that moment, in this moment. What is the greatest Christmas gift you could ever be given. Freedom from sin. Let's purpose to seek our wonderful counselor with all we have this Christmas and take our expectations to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for coming. Just the fact that you came, Lord, we are so grateful. God, the unmet expectations that we have this morning, Lord, I I pray that we would learn what it means to, to bring them to you, our wonderful counselor. That God, maybe we've tried to strive for too long, and now it's time to bring it to you. God, if there's something brand new in our lives, I pray that we would go to you. We'd go to you often because we will seek you and find you and we seek you with all of our hearts. And so, God, may we seek you as our wonderful counselor with all that we have. God, I would pray that you make us desperate for you because that is where true life is found. Thank you, God. If there's anybody here this morning that doesn't yet know you, God, I pray that they would hear you calling their name today. That they might call on the name of Jesus Christ and that they might be saved right where they sit. That they would know that their love beyond compare. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for being our wonderful counselor. In Jesus' name we pray.